0: Welcome to The Banker Midweek, your weekly look at what the industry is talking about, offering information bankers like you need to know.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of The Banker Midweek. Today, your midweek editors are John Everington, myself, and Barbara Pianese. Hello, Barbara.
0: Hi, John. How are you doing?
1: very well. Thank you. So this week, we are doing a top 1000 takeover of the Banker Midweek podcast. And for those of you who don't know, the Banker's top 1000 um, banks ranking has been going since 1970. At that time, it was the top 300. And it's gradually grown over the years uh, to be the top 1000 banks ranking the definitive look at the state of the industry, really, and who the top 1000 banks are by a series of metrics. Um, we've all been working very hard on compiling the relevant data and teasing out what it tells us about the state of the banking sector worldwide. So, Barbara, you've been writing a lot about it in the magazine uh, this month. So last year, the story of the top 1000 was very much the recovery after the COVID pandemic, um, data up to the end of 2021. Mm -hmm. So using the data which goes up to the end of 2022, what kind of picture does this year's top top 1000 ranking show?
0: Yeah, so 2022 was, um, I think, a turning point for the banking uh, for the banking sector worldwide, uh, because um, if banks in the you know in the past decade had to um, to Performing in an environment with very low interest rates now is the opposite. So a mm-hmm. lot of uh, central banks have started um, uh, monetary tightening, starting from the Federal Reserve, but also other, other, um, other banks um, around the world. So this had uh, a big impact on banks. So profitability has, um, has increased. For, for banks but at the same time interest expenses which is the interest that banks pay on any of their borrowings has grown faster than interest income so basically this can point to a potential um fra- let's say fragility or lower profitability if this trend continues yeah. so there are positive things but also if you look closely a uh, um, kind of potential um fragility
1: Yep, yeah, no most def- most definitely so i mean and again i think s- Looking at the results and looking at the, sort of the overall figures um, for the industry as a whole, you can't really get ar- get away from that sort of that strengthening of the dollar, yeah. which has come from um, the interest rate tightening um, cycle and just how that's impacted sort of like, the results. I mean, can you say about how mm-hmm. that's, I mean, how that's uh, um, impacted some of the top line, so like yeah. top level figures?
0: Yes, yeah, so of course, so the um, uh, so the results of the top one thousand are denominated in, in U.S. dollars, just mm-hmm. so it's easy to compare. But also, um, of course, it also means that given that the dollar strength and I guess the number of currencies, uh, it may seem that um, certain banking banks have not performed as you know as better when considering in in dollars rather than in the national currency so we need to take this into account so for example if we think about the chinese banks it seems that they may not have performed as well as they perform when um, their results are considered in their national currency, and also if we look at the aggregates um, results, so in terms of um, tier one capital assets and pretaf- pre-tax profits for uh, on an aggregate level, we may seem that it may seem that these results are uh, there is a bit of decrease compared to last year, but just because of the dollar instead of. Uh, uh, the banking sector has, has done well last year
1: yeah indeed yeah i mean it's i mean i'll just come in and say i mean for those of you who don't know i cover africa in the middle east mm-hmm. and this has definitely been a story particularly within africa where you've seen uh, a lot of the big currencies the rand the naira and the egyptian pound they've kind of weakened significantly mm. against the dollar for a number of reasons i mean but, but i mean sort of the tightening cycle is, is is one of the big ones and again you've got banks which would have kind of had a sort of positive results, good growth in sort of like kind of local currency terms, but then because of that dollar yeah. conversion that you were talking about, yeah. it sort of depresses their sort of their performance when you look at the sort of on the rest of the top one thousand.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. So yes, so don't keep us in suspense mm-hmm. any longer. Barbara, yeah. the top one thousand. Who's number one this year?
0: So number one this year again is uh, um, ICBC, so a Chinese bank, obviously. Mm-hmm. So the, in the top four, we find four uh, Chinese banks. So and then if we look at the top ten, uh, we we see Chinese and uh, US banks and one European uh, bank.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's I mean, okay. And I know. I think this is year number thirteen. I think for ICBC at the top. Is that right? Yeah, probably.
0: Yeah, I can't recall, but it's been been a while that they, is on the top.
1: Yeah, no, it's, I mean, and it's been interesting, actually, when you look through some of the sort of like previous results and so like kind of going through the sort of the history Mm. of the top 1,000, I think in 1970 it was Bank of America, which I think was the top. And I mean, at at that point, I mean, the Chinese banks were nowhere to be seen. And then gradually you see the sort of the picture change. And then I think it was... um, Oh goodness me! Even to like relatively recently, so like I mean, twenty ten, you still you still still saw those American banks at the top, but then you could see the yeah. sort of the Chinese banks led by ICBC kind of creeping up the rankings and now they're they're firmly sort of like ensconced at the top aren't they
0: yeah 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 it is a is a, a trend that has been going on for a decade so Chinese uh, kind of taking up a lot of space uh, in the economy and in the banking sector as or right
1: indeed yeah but I mean it's uh, but it's been mm-hmm. interesting I mean something that you kind of dwelt on in your in your write-up was that you've got the sort of the very large banks at the top who have kind of their sort of I mean we mentioned the currency effect as well but I mean I think just the growth is maybe slowing a little bit compared with with what it has been in previous years whereas now i think it's sort of the, gro- the the real growth in China is coming from from a little bit lower down the table. Is that right? Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. So of course the the growth of the Chinese banking sector again has been a trend, uh, but if we look closely at the data, we see that now the growth is mainly driven by um, kind of mid tier banks, which also makes sense, right? Because if we look at the the biggest Chinese banks, they are. You know, really big compared to uh, to the European and US banks. So, uh, and also, I think profitability, as likely, is not is not low, but it's likely, the growth of profitability in the Chinese banking sector has kind of uh, um, slowed. And this also means that probably, you know, the sector is becoming more mature in a mm-hmm. certain way because it was uh, in a very growth period and now has reached uh, kind of maturity.
1: Indeed, yeah. No, and it's, I mean, it's and it's been interesting seeing that sort of alongside, the sort of the the weaker than expected sort of performance of the chinese economy sort of Mm -hmm. recently particularly coming out of covid it's interesting talking to our wonderful asia editor kimberly long earlier um just talking about this and she said i mean it's okay that doesn't really feed into the sort of that sort of Mm -hmm. that top level growth um the sort of that kind of that economic performance it's it's something to bear in mind but at the same time it's just as you say, Barbara, Mm -hmm. about that maturing of the industry, isn't it? Yeah, 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 I think Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Indeed, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so so we mentioned the Chinese who are sort of like ruling the roost at the top, um, in the top 10. And then you've got the US banks who are coming after that as well now. And I think it's, I think many of the results kind of came, uh, sort of we're using end of 2022 data. So, and we haven't had the sort of the impact of Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic and others um, reflected in this year's, in this year's showing. But I think the impact of the dollar means that there are extra banks who, who are actually sort of lower down the ranking. There, there are a few yeah, new entrants. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah,
0: we see a lot of, um, in the top 1,000, we see a lot of new entrants entrance from the US, so a lot of US banks. And this was, again, the result of a strong dollar. Um, and this is especially interesting considering that there has been quite a, a bit of M&A activity um, in the banking sector uh, in the US, yeah.
1: So, Who's the who Who's the largest U.S. bank in the rankings, and where where do they come in the top ten?
0: Yeah, so we have uh, JP Morgan and Bank of America, and I think um, also Citigroup. Uh, these are the biggest banks. But um, I think that a trend that we have been seeing um, across the board in the banking sector has been that investment banks investment banking has not done super well. Mm-hmm. While so, of course, all these banks have, which uh, are quite exposed to investment banking have suffered in terms of uh, in terms of fees and i think there is there's is also an interesting um data bank data led article that we wrote about that right looking at uh what kind of um fees suffer the most uh for investment banking and i think mna fees were the ones that you know suffered the most
1: indeed yeah indeed mm. very good and then so you mentioned okay so it's chinese american banks in the top 10 but there's one European bank yes. which is still clinging <laughs> yes. on there, and who is that?
0: HSBC. Yeah, I think it's been few um, few years, maybe a decade, uh, that is still kind of clinging in the ranking. And um, I think all points, uh, everything points to uh, to them kind of exiting the top ten next year, just because of uh, uh, you know a number of uh, factors. But European banks are definitely smaller than uh, other peers in other regions.
1: Into HM, yeah. mm. okay. Very good. I mean, and particularly, so like looking. I mean, maybe if we look just a little bit, sort of, at what's been going on in Europe. I mean, when you when you wrote up your article on mm-hmm. this, I mean, you you particularly mentioned Greece and Italy. I mean as markets which have struggled and had their very kind of big and mm-hmm. public struggles in the past but now are sort of showing a bit more kind of signs of, of recovery and resurgence
0: yeah 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 um, yeah I think Greece and Italy in terms of banking sectors they have done they've done pretty well especially because they were um, they went through some tough periods um, in terms of um, Greek banks I think two of the um, the banks that are in the ranking Um, increase their profits after two loss-making years. Mm -hmm. Uh, And more generally, the Greek banking sector is now stronger. It's smaller, definitely. It's definitely smaller because the economy after um, the financial crisis is uh, way smaller. But banks have managed to clean up their balance sheets. And... um, uh, Italian banks also did well, and um, Italy was the country with the greatest increase in uh, pre-tax profits um, mm-hmm. you know, for the banks in the ranking.
1: Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, good to see them sort of like kind of doing that good showing. And then I think um, we don't have time, unfortunately, on this podcast mm-hmm. to go through all of the regions. I you mean, know, yeah. there's some very, very interesting stories um, that are there. It, it's worth saying at this point that there's a series of videos on the banker's website yeah. which goes into all of the sort of different regional um performances in terms of Africa, Middle East, Asia, Europe, the Americas and also looking at sort of some of the top trends um Barbara herself has been mm-hmm. talking with our editor Joy about this so please do go and have a look at that but i think before we kind of finish um in this time of, on our podcast it'd be good to talk about um i think two markets in particular mm-hmm. it's like kind of from the wider world and uh, and those are India and Brazil yeah so can you can you say about like kind of what's been going on there
0: mm-hmm. definitely so um, the Brazilian banks have done very well and partially this has been driven by um, by the real that uh, appreciated against the dollar so it was quite a uh, quite an outlier uh, but generally uh, the Brazilian sector is quite banking sector is quite strong uh, and then India so Indian banks as well have had some kind of troubles in the past and now they are um coming back stronger yes
1: Mm -hmm. indeed indeed And i think it's also kind of worth make worth drawing out i mean you're talking about the real strengthening Mm -hmm. against the dollar during the year that has been seen in a number of markets i mean
0: um,
1: one from my own sort of patch of africa is the kwanzaa in angola Um, again uh angola had a very good year in terms of its oil production and its oil exports so the, the currency did strengthen quite considerably there so you actually had um three angolan banks who were kind of entering the sort of top 25 in africa on the back of that and also in my other kind of patch the middle east where you have um countries who've got their currencies um pegged to the us dollar they didn't suffer as as much as as some of their peers worldwide and they also had a very good showing mm. as well um in comparison so That's our talk for the top 1,000 at the moment. Plenty more to read about on the Banker Mm -hmm. website, plenty more videos which have been produced on this. Just wanted to very kind of briefly talk about um, coming back to Brazil, Barbara, in addition to all the work that you've been doing on the top 1,000 uh, this month, you've also written about open banking in Brazil and Latin America. And you've been talking about... How sort of open banking has really taken off there at, at quite a staggering rate, actually, mm-hmm. uh, compared with compared with sort of some other markets. I'm just wondering if you can say a little bit about what's been driving that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that um, Brazil has been quite um, a quite interesting market in terms of technology uh, and innovation, and uh, most of that has been driven, I think, by the fact that all this innovation has been kind of centralized, and so the supervisor, the European, the the, the central bank, is really Driving that, so they are really uh, working and, and focusing on how to uh, kind of specify the rules for, for open banking, and so this is why it was very successful. Um, and, um, yeah, and I think apart from that, um, uh, while we may think that emerging markets are always kind of behind in terms of technology, this is not the case for Brazil. Mm-hmm. So they are quite advanced in terms of, uh, like, mobile phone usage, uh, internet connection and technology in general. So um, whenever, um, yeah, there is an innovation
1: uh, is easily adopted, and also there's been that real culture of near banks there as yeah. well, which I mean have got, have got great success there. So I guess that kind of feeds into the mix as well.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. There are a lot of uh, like new bank, and there are a lot of um, kind of new banks that are really. Uh, really strong in the country.
1: Indeed, yeah, a very, very interesting atmosphere. So great. I think the one other thing that we'll talk about on the podcast, our time is running out, but I just wanted to shout out um, to our editor, Joy McKnight's blog, um, who she has been writing on the recent MOU, which has been signed um, by the EU and the UK Mm -hmm. on financial services on the June 27th. Um, The non-binding joint declaration aims to establish a constructive, mutually beneficial relationship following seven years of separation strife after the Brexit vote in 2016. Mm. And Joy goes into quite a lot of detail there. She gets a lot of reactions from Mm. the industry, talking about, okay, well, this is a step forward, but then also looking at some of the implications and some of the challenges going forward in that deepening of relationships, what it means for the adoption in the UK of the Edinburgh reforms, Mm -hmm. and generally kind of looking at sort of how if at all this is going to um, shape the future sort of like kind of, of EU and UK cooperation. So do give that a read. Our time is now up. I hope that you've enjoyed listening to our musings on the top 1000 and on other topics. Barbara, thank you very much indeed for your thoughts.
0: Thank you very much, John. It was a pleasure.
1: Thank you. So thank you very much for listening. Do join us again next week when the venerable Liz Lumley will be back in the hot seat. But from me and Barbara, it is goodbye.
0: Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Banker Midweek, part of the portfolio of podcasts from the editorial team at The Banker, available on thebanker.com and wherever you get your podcast fix. Search on The Banker Podcasts to listen to more.